0: Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. One week from Election Day, November 8th, 2022, the midterms, where control of Congress is up for grabs, a lot of issues burbling around. But first, there's also a lot going on in the world. We saw the Brazilian elections over the weekend, where the far leftist Lulu defeated the pro-Western Bolsonaro. Today, there is a massive turnout in the Israeli elections that could very well restore Benjamin Netanyahu to power. And now a week from today, we'll have our American elections that will determine the fate of Congress, who's in charge in 2023 in Congress, a referendum on Joe Biden and the Democrats' policies in their first two years in full control of Washington. We've got a great show to dig into some of those issues. And one of those is obviously what's at stake in each of those three elections, that like creeping Chinese socialism in Latin America, security in Iran, and the economy in Israel, And of course, all the big issues here, crime economy and transgenderism, which is bubbling up as a third issue in the election. Parents really alienated by some of the tactics that Democrats and liberals are trying to impose on children in schools, even in prisons. And we have two perfect guests to tackle those extraordinary issues. First joining us at the top of the show, former Congresswoman and former presidential candidate Michelle Bachman from the great state of Minnesota. She's now the dean of the School of Government at Regent University. She's going to talk to us about all three of those elections, why they're important, why Americans should be concerned about the Brazilian election and what's going on in Latin America with Chinese influence, and also what's at stake in the American election, what issues are going on. We're going to talk to her about the exclusive report we had on Just to Do this morning. You got an early glimpse of it yesterday here on John Solomon Report's The evidence that Biden administration, federal agencies like the Labor Department, the Agriculture Department are targeting vulnerable Americans who are dependent upon federal aid, people getting food stamps, people seeking federally backed job training and trying to get them to register to vote. Very specific targeting of young voters, Native American voters, job training recipients, food stamp recipients, many of those demographics that lean Democrat, right? Looks a little bit like what Mark Zuckerberg did with private money in 2020, except this time it's being done at your expense, taxpayers' expense. A lot of people reacting to that story. You heard Congressman Andrew Clyde yesterday, very concerned about it. We're going to ask Michelle Bachman about that. Then we'll take a commercial break. Come back, Dr. Mari Irvine from the Women's Liberation Front. This is a radical feminist group fighting for women's right in America. They are extremely concerned about the transgenderism movement in places like prison, in the acting profession, in the legal profession. And Dr. Irvine is going to bring us up to speed on three things you probably haven't heard much about. A lawsuit against the California prison system for putting biological males identifying as females in female prisons and the dangers of that, including evidence of what's already going on, then an effort by the ABA to create new transgenderism rules for lawyers that could silence lawyers, and then an effort in Hollywood, I'm not making this up, to get rid of actor and actresses' awards and make them gender neutral. Dr. Mari Irvine from the Women's Liberation Front is going to be here and talk about all three of those big, big developments, and as we have been talking to great guests on this show the last few weeks, transgenderism seems to be the third rail of this election, behind Inflation in the economy and crime in open border, those are the top two issues in the election. Transgenderism and the parents feeling that their children are being put at risk by some of the radical ideology is sort of bubbling up as a third powerful electoral movement in America. All right, we're going to have both of those after the commercial break. But first, a reminder that we have so many extraordinary partners and advertisers and sponsors, people who make the Just the News brand possible, who make the investigative reporting, make the dig-in tool, make this podcast, John Solomon reports, and of course, the TV show, Just the News, no noise, possible every day. One of them, my good friends at Tommy John, where, by the way, I love getting my winter apparel when I'm at home in front of the fireplace. You got to have Tommy John. That's the comfortable way to go. So if you don't want to get involved with the Black Friday crowd business, I never do. Sometimes my wife goes, "Ah, I'm not into Black Friday. Really not. Then why don't you get ahead of entire chaos and go to Tommy John's before Black Friday and enjoy their before Black Friday sale. That's right. Super duper comfortable. When you give your loved ones Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. Shop Tommy John's before Black Friday sale. That's what I'm doing. And give the gift of comfort to everyone On your list, including yourself. spoil yourself. I do. With Tommy John men's and women's loungewear. With over 18 million pairs sold, giving Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition. 97% of women and men love what they get when they buy a gift or get a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. I'm one of them. I'm a Tommy John fanatic. When I'm sitting at the cabin, I love my loungewear, my Tommy John loungewear. It's comfortable, it's warm, it makes the holidays and winter just all that more enjoyable. So if you want to support Just the News and John Solomon Reports and Just the News, no noise, here's what you do. Go to Tommy John's and shop the Tommy John's before Black Friday sale. It's going on right now and you get 25% off. You ready for that? 25% off. Everything at TommyJohn.com slash Just News. So go to TommyJohn.com slash Just News. Get 25% off for a limited time only. Hurry up. Take advantage of this. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in those Black Friday crowds. Get ahead of it. Get the gift that everybody wants. Tommy John apparel. The best. Some of my favorite things to wear, particularly in the fall and winter. How are you going to get that 25% off? Just one more time. I'm going to remind you. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Just See site for additional details. All right, folks, we're going to take that quick commercial break. When we come back, Michelle Bachman followed by a fascinating conversation about the transgenderism's effect on Hollywood, lawyers, and prisons from Dr. Mari Irvine at the Women's Liberation Front. We'll have both of those right after this commercial message. <laughs>
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest needs really no introduction. She's a former congresswoman, former presidential candidate, and now the dean of the Robertson School of Government Regent University. She is former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Congresswoman, great to have you on the show.
2: John, as always, I'm a big fan of yours. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, it's such an honor to have you on. You have always been a voice of very important issues of security, the world, which is aflame right now. Joe Biden's lack of leadership has the world kind of wandering Three telltale elections in a row. We've got the Brazilian election this past weekend, the Israeli election today, American election tomorrow. And I break down their importance, all three of those elections to the world right now.
2: Well, and obviously the, the election in the United States is of supreme importance. It's not a presidential year, it's a midterm election, but it is the reaction of the American people to the absolute meltdown in the United States economy. But even more importantly, the place of the united states on the world stage we have always been the preeminent military superpower of the world and now that is in question and i think it's a very interesting symbolism of joe biden himself he symbolizes personal weakness on the world stage but he also symbolizes American weakness on the world stage. And I think if you look back a year ago, August, at what happened in Afghanistan, one of the worst, if not the worst, military disasters in American history, where we left $84 billion worth of weaponry on the sands of Afghanistan for presumably the Chinese to pick up and use for their own defense and on offense and use it as really a military resale shop to make money. It, we still are getting our are trying to get our minds around that disaster but this election I think is a referendum on Joe Biden. If we can have an accurate election account, that's really the biggest question right now. We've never seen the level of fraud that we have seen in the last several years on elections. And so if we have a true and fair election, there's no question there'll be a huge spanking that the voters are going to give to the party in power, and it'll be a complete rejection. But the question is how safe will those elections be? That takes us to the election that just happened in Brazil over this last weekend. The outpouring of support for uh, Jair Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, was palpable. The economy in Brazil has soared under his leadership. Uh, The level of freedom and the level of uh, confidence in the world that that Brazil was able to exude, especially from a foreign policy perspective. They were very pro-Israel. And when you saw this election that happened this weekend, it was within about a point difference it was literally a communist running against Jair Bolsonaro who had much more in common with a freedom agenda. And so now we saw that unfortunately Bolsonaro uh, lost in that election, depending on if it was um, a stolen election or not, but Jair Bolsonaro as we are uh, taping this right now has yet to say anything about the election. So there's been a, a lot of after effect. There's a lot of truckers, that has stopped traffic all across Brazil. Uh, People are very nervous about what's going to happen. People don't necessarily believe the outcome. That's not a good thing. You want stability in a nation. Stability was a part of Brazil. And now it appears that the hooks of the communist Chinese may be in the the communist leader, uh, Lula da Silva. And so now the communist Chinese may have sway over Brazil, which is very concerning because Brazil is a resource rich nation the the biggest most important nation in all of south america and that would have profound implications if the communist chinese are able to have sway there and that takes us then to today's election in israel that's really also a sovereignty based election the question is will israel remain a pro-zionist nation or will it become something else it's really a very important election because a lot of your, your listeners may know that this is highly unusual. This has never happened in Israel before. This is the fifth election in three years. And out of none of these elections, it, it, this being the fifth, has a coalition been formed. So essentially, they've been without a government or it's been a government on status quo for the last three years. So it's a very strange time geopolitically here in the United States, in Israel, and also in South America with Brazil. These are three very important, once extremely sane countries. And we're looking at the insanity that has come in the United States, which has frankly shocked the world, the insanity that may return now to Brazil. And then the question, what will happen in Israel? Will Israel maintain a posture, or will will they maintain the posture of a pro Zionist nation or will they give that up? That'll have profound impact for Israel. So these elections that are happening right now really will change the table geopolitically in the world for these three nations, because they have been the most sane nations in the world. And now we're seeing something of a dramatic change.
0: Yeah, and the creeping form of socialism that's growing across Latin America, clearly driven by China's interest more than anything else. How concerning is that, that at our water's edge is now a growing socialist movement in South America?
2: Oh, this is extremely important. We've had wonderful trading partners with Latin America and with South America. We've at least been able to have strong conversations as we've seen the rise of Brazil under a sane pro-Western leadership now the whole table would change and if we have a communist chinese come into brazil then we will see venezuela honduras the other nations down there they
0: all tend to fall right
2: all be under that umbrella and we will see a much invigorated more muscular presence of the communist chinese in south america that is that does not pretend good things for the united states
0: yeah such an important dynamic to watch on and there's been basically silence from america on this creeping socialism on china's infiltration of south america and that's not a good thing we need more voices speaking out against it and countering china's malign influence in this part of the hemisphere it's really remarkable
2: we do we do and i and i think also it says a lot of very poor things about our united states state department where it seems like our State Department is swinging for the other team, so to speak, when it comes to Brazil.
0: Yeah, yeah, they were one of the first, obviously, to congratulate and call yesterday. And not speaking out in the weeks beforehand about the danger of socialism in Latin America was such a missed opportunity. As you look at this election, you talked a little bit about election integrity being an important decider, whether this election goes well. We had a story yesterday, Rodney Davis, ranking member on the House Administration Committee, has trained dozens of congressional staffers to be official election observers. They're going out. They're going to observe all the close races using their constitutional authority under Congress, and they're already sending out investigative record requests for things that they know have already happened. If something happened in Georgia, Colorado accidentally sent out, or they say accidentally sent out ballot registrations for citizens who aren't allowed to vote impressed to see Congress exercising its own oversight authority in elections? And should it be done more often?
2: Well, it, unfortunately, it's become a necessity because, as we've seen, there has to be accountability. Without accountability, the votes of the people will be run roughshod over. That's that's what we've seen as an issue happening in state after state. As you mentioned, one example would be in the state of, California, of Colorado, where the Secretary of State sent out Uh, voter uh, registrations to 30,000 illegal aliens in the state. And we all know what has happened over the last two years under Joe Biden. We have over five and a half million people illegally coming into the United States with calls from Democrats to grant immediate amnesty, because this isn't even a pretext. This was the Democrats voter registration drive they don't like the American people so much. They want people that they, can, that they can put on dependency programs that will vote for them and that they can easily lead into whatever person that they want to vote for. So yes, I think we're going to have to see more of an oversight because people don't necessarily trust the results anymore. When you don't have people with high confidence in the results of an election, you lose a nation. And that, that's the United States, unfortunately, we're being downgraded by the American people in confidence in what government can even do anymore.
0: Yeah, well, Joe Biden us a bigger government that would work better and that didn't work out. We found out big government has never worked, just like Ronald Reagan told us. And that's probably what's at the heart of this election this year, firing the big government advocates. You spoke a little bit about some of the counting issues, other things that are going on in the elections, and also Democrats' desire to focus on the most needy and try to turn them into Democratic voters. We have a story out today. We got these internal documents from many of the Biden administration agencies that are going out and running the that voter registration effort that Joe Biden signed into law with an executive order. A lot of people question its constitutionality. But here's what they're doing. They're going out at the Labor Department and they're targeting young workers who are coming in for job training, farm workers, Native Americans, all dependent on the Labor Department for job training and asking them to register at the same time. At the USDA, they're targeting people who are on food stamps. So they're targeting the most vulnerable populations who are in need of government assistance right now and saying, hey, we got to help you register to vote. How concerned are you about that dynamic?
2: Well, of course, very concerned. And uh, in addition to that, when a number of illegal aliens came into the country, there were a number of states who gave driver's license to them and gave voter registration to them. That's that's a real concern. I mean, at this point, there's even a question if, if uh, Democrats think that it's okay, that we should even be requiring citizenship. There are so many who are saying that non-citizens should have the right to vote. So of course we should be concerned. This shows exactly the direction that our nation is headed in. And it uh, does not pretend well for those who want to follow by the rule of law. We've never lived in a time of more lawlessness. And we see that when lawlessness is applied to elections, John, that's when the credibility of a nation falls. We need to have confidence in elections. And unfortunately, these, these stories are, are sad. They make you want to laugh, but really more than anything, it, it points toward the demise of a nation. And that, that is tragic when that happens because so much was required to build this nation up that there's no, no joke in watching it being torn down
0: it seems like people are more inspired to fight for the country this election you see hispanic voters moving towards the republican column african-american voters up quite a bit suburban women coming back may have been a little alienated from the party with donald trump but they're coming back in the polling when you look at this could be a watershed election what do you expect to happen next tuesday what's the message you think the american people give joe biden the democrats and republicans in the next election
2: Well, I think they're saying, whoa, stop. We don't want one more day of what it is that you're dishing out because Americans can't afford Joe Biden. That's the bottom line. They can't afford it because they're looking at their futures going up in smoke. They thought they maybe could buy a house. Now they can't. Because Jerome Powell every week raises the interest rates another three-quarter of a point, so people are seeing their, their dream of home ownership evaporate, but they're seeing that just something as simple as going to the grocery store is really becoming a depressing event for a family. Buying food is a depressing event, and so people just don't trust anymore. The, in the future. And that's the great thing about America. America was always future oriented, how the next generation was going to do better. There's a there's kind of a sense of depressing that has fallen in on people. So I think people the referendum is we don't want this. We want our nation back. Give us our nation back. And people aren't going to stand for what's coming out of Washington, DC. I think the Democrats are gonna find that all of their being cooler than the next guy in their virtue signaling it is, not, uh, is not being received well by the American public and they're gonna get slapped next Tuesday pretty hard.
0: It's really fascinating to watch the dynamic and see the elitists completely detached from the people they claim to represent the best interests from. But there is a loud voice speaking to Washington, but no one in Washington seems to be listening. Republicans are. They put together a commitment with America. They have a very positive 150-point agenda. If they win, how important is it that they disrupt the status quo, that they don't get along and go along, that they go all in to try to change this
2: country for the better? Well, it's imperative, John. This is the most important thing that Republicans have to do. They have to be very practical and they have to turn the dials to benefit the American people. If they fail to do that, then the American people won't forgive them and 2024 won't go so well. At this rate, if they're trying to actually change people's lives for the better for the next two years and the obstructionist turns out to be the man sitting in the White House, Joe Biden, then I think that we will see um, a a completely different government where the people will put a very strong can do Republican in as president. But if these Republicans just decide they're going to go along with the establishment and not fight back against Joe Biden, if they lose that opportunity for two years, um, they may never get that chance again.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. And it's interesting. Uh, the Freedom Caucus has been circulating some documents to likely freshmen, people who come in next year saying, don't fall for any of the dirty tricks in Washington. Hold out. Be tough. Don't get hoodwinked. Uh, some of your own party might even hoodwink. you. It's kind of interesting to watch that. Last question. You're doing so much dynamic at Regent University. You have all these incredible thought leaders and political leaders coming through. Mike Pompeo, Gunn You see them all around. There is a war that a lot of people are fighting in K through 12 right now, and parents trying to reassert their authority over the school agenda that their children learn at. But the higher education institutions are the second area where this propagandization of American history and liberal ideologies occurring. Regent stands out as a leader. Do you think there's a larger movement underfoot with like what Ron DeSantis is doing with tenure in Florida to yank back the universities from the far left influence that they've kind of fallen under?
2: Well, I think certainly in some of the private schools, we're a private Christian school where we are graduate schools through undergraduate schools. And we've maintained for 44 years a commitment to the pursuit of truth and understanding of truth. We have 13,000 students that are matriculating through our university. We're unapologetic that we're trying to stand on the side of the acquisition of knowledge, facts. In information, we're not an indoctrination school, we want to pursue truth. I think as people look at the world falling apart around them here in the United States, they're recognizing that the old ways may be good ways and that we have to pursue truth and not pursue uh, radical trendy agendas and so I think that as parents are saying not with my kid you don't and the k-12 system so too, I think parents are saying in higher ed, I'm not gonna throw my hard earned money out so that my kid can get a degree in garbage studies. And so they're they're taking a, a look twice. And I think that's why we've seen such profound growth this year at Regent University, because people want to have some morals and some faith involved with education, but they also want high academics. That's what Regent was always known for, high, high academics, but also, coming from an unapologetic faith perspective. More and more, I think whether it's independent adults who are seeking education or parents for their children, I think they really want value for their money, not just a college degree, because at the end of the day, that's what people want is is knowledge in an area where they'll be able to pursue their dreams. So I think we're seeing that in K-12. I think we're seeing it in higher ed. That's a good thing.
0: Yeah. And tenure, do you think that reevaluating tenure, the idea that you have unfireable academic bureaucrats, no matter what they do, that that becomes, at least in the state universities, an issue? It's certainly in Florida. It has been. Do you think that becomes an area where people at least evaluate whether tenure is a good thing or a bad thing?
2: Oh, it should be. I know we don't have just lifelong tenure here at Regent University, but at the state schools, they should. And of course, one thing that we're seeing through K-12 is really the harm that teachers unions have brought to students and it's downgraded education in the public schools. So whether it is the influence of the teachers unions or whether it's the influence of tenure, there needs to be a much bigger conversation because these are tax dollars that are being spent on these schools. And so I think we need to pull the plug on that and really do a full on redesign of K-12 through higher ed. It should be much more choice oriented and results oriented. Yeah, such a great point.
0: The idea that some things be on merit is a really good thing. We have to get back to merit in America. I know that's something you've argued for a long time. (laughs) It's so great to have you on, Congresswoman. You always speak the truth, and you have such good insights, particularly what's going on in the world today. Can't wait to get you on after the election to make sense of all that's happened over the last 10 days.
2: we Will do it. Thanks again, and God bless you and your great audience, John.
0: Thank you. A great honor to have you on. Thank you so much. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Dr. Mari Irvine, the executive director of Women's Liberation Front, and a deep dive into how the transgenderism ideology is affecting the safety of women in prison, the rules that lawyers must follow at the ABA, and even something as simple as acting awards in Hollywood. We'll have all of that right after the commercial break. <laughs> They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest is on the front lines of fighting for women's rights, and particularly fighting to make sure that women and their identity don't get erased in this era of extreme transgenderism ideology. She is Dr. Mari Irvin. She is the executive director of Women's Liberation Front. Dr. Irvin, good to have you back on the show.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having us. We always enjoy um, having this opportunity to, you know, to talk about the different aspects of our work and how we're fighting to protect women and girls.
0: You have such a big agenda. You're working on so many different fronts, but I want to focus on one that a lot of our listeners, our readers are very familiar with. You filed a lawsuit against the California prison system, trying to keep biological males out of female prisons. State's been kicking it down the road, kind of delaying, but the threat isn't gone, right? The danger to women in those prisons is still extremely high. Can you give us a quick update on what's going on in that lawsuit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we are dealing in the post-COVID pandemic era. Um, I think we're not the only ones who are dealing with this major challenge of just our lawsuit moving along at a snail's pace. There has been... Um, pretty much no progress on our lawsuit in terms of any significant, um, you know, interactions with the judge. We had back uh, in May, we had all these proposed interveners, including the ACLU, who have basically tried to butt into our lawsuit and, you know, say that they want to challenge us on, on certain things and challenge the state on certain things. But in terms of actual progress and movement forward, it has been completely stalled. And apparently that is due to The backlog in the California court system caused by the pandemic. And what's really upsetting for us, and probably for a lot of your listeners, is we are just thinking about, um, you know, particularly our four plaintiffs who are such incredibly courageous women that, you know, they are literally incarcerated, but they're still brave enough to file a lawsuit against their, you know, their captors, (laughs) basically. And so every day they're still waking up and going about their lives in prison, feeling as though they're, you know, presumably maybe being targeted with at least some negative attitudes from prison administrators who aren't very happy about this lawsuit. And yet these women have been waiting almost a full year now. Um, And not just our four plaintiffs, but all of the, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of women who are incarcerated throughout California who are all being affected by this law. They're all still being put at risk every single day because men are still being allowed to transfer into their facilities.
0: It is a really scary thing. And then you have the additional problem of some of these California prison workers that were involved in sexual assault at the prison as well. I think one of them pled guilty just a few days ago. So you have some of the prison guards and workers that are abusing the women. And then you have the extreme danger of having a biological male put into the population the way it is. Do you feel like California is beginning to feel, the state is beginning to feel some of the pressure of this, or do you think they feel hoity and able to kick this down the road some more?
1: Uh, I think based on the behaviors of various lawmakers and people with political clout in California, I think they still feel very morally righteous about all of this. You know, I'm thinking about how very recently California made this big deal about announcing how they're like a... A sanctuary state now, and people can, you know, bring children in from other states that have criminalized child medicalization. So California is basically sort of now marketing themselves as like, if you want your daughter to get an unnecessary double mass just bring her across state lines. <laughs> so I think they're like California in general is really doubling down on its its promotion of gender ideology. So I. I think we definitely still have a real legal fight ahead of us for our lawsuit.
0: You see these women like Mimi Lee, who I know you're representing, who witnessed and provided a sworn declaration to one of the assaults that was allegedly committed by a trans individual. The courage it takes inside the prison to do that when you're already a prisoner has got to be pretty large. Yet it doesn't seem to resonate with the prison officials why is it that Mimi Lee's voice isn't more valued or put front and center with the state why not give her more credibility give her more protection
1: um, you know I think it this is what we're seeing is a situation where men and women are being treated and valued in such different ways and that's one of the arguments in our lawsuit is that these male inmates, seem to be getting treated with like favoritism and sort of special treatment, for example, you know, the men transfer in and they actually get to have a say in who they want to bunk with, you know, who they want to share cells with, where they want to be housed. And they claim, you know, it's because they're so vulnerable. And yet women, on the other hand, even when they're reporting sexual assaults or physical assaults, they're not really being treated as victims at all. That um, They're actually, you know, some of them feel like they're being retaliated against and controlled and
0: yeah, pariahs for coming forward.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like endangering themselves more. And, you know, I'm sure that there are many women in the prison, you know, who are just like, I'm going to keep my head down and my mouth shut because I don't want to even attract any attention to myself. And so that's why we're so grateful to these four women for, you know, having the courage to not just come forward, but like, I mean, they're really public right? Like they're publicly officially listed as our plaintiffs.
0: It takes an extraordinary amount of courage to do that. And uh, these will probably be landmark lawsuits. At some point when they get litigated, they're going to raise some of the most important issues in the 21st century when it comes to gender. And I think everyone should keep an eye on these. You're doing lots more though, whether it's the ABA, the Film Critics Association, a lot of different things going on. Tell us a little bit about your new amicus brief. Against the American Bar Association's model rules for gender identity.
1: Yeah, we have we have been busy on in so many different angles and fronts, and we actually in the past couple of months we have co-submitted two of this briefs um, on two completely different topics, and we co-submitted both of those with an agency we enjoy working with a lot, um, Concerned Women for America. So this was um, you know co-submission with CWA. Um, and, you know, their, their stakeholders and our stakeholders differ pretty significantly um, on some of, you know, the, the cultural issues they support or oppose. But we really enjoy coming together and working with them whenever, you know, we are fighting against these gender ideology issues. So um, this new MECAS brief that we just co-submitted, uh, we submitted it last Thursday, and we actually have not really publicly announced it yet. So your listeners are going to get a first glimpse into this. What um, this amicus brief focuses on is it's a proposed change to a model rule um, that is enforced by the um, American Bar Association. So, for the rules of professional conduct for lawyers. And so, this is proposed model rule 8.4G. And basically, um, you know, there's lawyers are supposed to follow all these different rules of ethics in terms of their behavior inside the courtroom and outside of the courtroom
0: outside as well. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. And obviously, you know, we, we don't want attorneys who are discriminating against people or being really bigoted and biased. And so that's what some of these ethic rules focus on. And the reason that we were very concerned about this proposed change to rule 8.4 G is that they are proposing to add uh, gender identity as a protected class. So just like, you know, attorneys aren't supposed to be biased against someone because of his or her sex or religion, right? When when they're talking in a courtroom or they're talking to their colleagues, well, now gender identity is getting thrown into this mix. And so, you know, this could bring up a huge range of issues for attorneys inside the courtroom as well as outside of the courtroom. Because, you know, when you think about even inside the courtroom, we're already seeing this with our lawsuit where our plaintiffs have actually, you know, this this um, one woman who's our plaintiff, she was sexually assaulted by a male inmate. He, you know, he pushed his body and his genitals up against her, right? And she reported to the prison. And the prison came back with telling her that it was a woman who had assaulted her instead of a man. And so one of our, our um, sort of strategic thoughts with our own lawsuit is, Are we going to get to the point in our lawsuit where we are going to be told we have to use female pronouns to refer to men? And that's exactly what this proposed rule could potentially do, is if an attorney is arguing a court case talking about a transgender-identified male, a judge could potentially say, you're being biased because you're referring to this, quote-unquote, trans woman as a man, you know, how dare you, you're demonstrating bigotry here. So this would have major implications for anybody who is bringing forward lawsuits.
0: It could really handicap a legal strategy of a victim, right? It could literally handicap them from being able to seek justice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, words have a lot of power. Language has power. And there was a famous lawsuit years ago that um, with Wendy Murphy, where you know, she was working with a survivor of rape. And I remember in that case, the judge said that they weren't allowed to use the word rape in their lawsuit, which seems absolutely mind blowing. <laughs> and so this could, be, this could be similar, right? Where attorneys are actually being forced to basically like promote and go along with a, a political ideology, or you could even say it's a faith-based belief system that they don't believe in, but they could actually start to be coerced in the courtroom to, uh, you know, promote this idea of gender ideology and the fact that humans can change, or, you know, the notion that humans can change sexes, even though if they don't believe that. And then, so obviously, this proposed rule could have massive implications for lawyers who are talking to one another, talking to judges, talking to defendants, cross-examination, talking to jurors, all that. But then even outside of the courtroom, we could, you know, think of situations, for example, let's say there's a law professor who is discussing a situation um, in his or her classroom with students. Well, a student, and, you know, we have all kinds of ridiculous stories now coming out of, you know, graduate schools and undergrad classrooms where students are accusing their professors of being transphobic. There was, you know, a couple of months ago, I saw a news article, this female professor was basically fired because she told her students that she believes there are only two sexes of humans. And the graduate students all claimed they, you know, they were being harmed by her and they walked out of her classroom. And so What this proposed new ethics rule could do is that could basically be setting up the same situation in law schools all across the country.
0: Yeah, that's a big one. That's why it's important. Uh, This is one that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but American Bar Association has enormous power.
1: It does. It does. And, you know, um, we've actually here at Wolf, we had an incident a while back. Um, You know, this is somebody being a social justice warrior on Twitter. But um, somebody who was intentionally trying to smear the reputation of our attorney and then one of our um, advisory council members who has done a lot of wonderful legal work for us. And this guy got online on Twitter and was talking about how, you know, if our attorneys were, um, you know, if they were licensed to work in his state, he would be pursuing them legally for ethics violations and reporting them to their professional associations.
0: No kidding,
1: yeah, yeah, so there are you know there are several incidents already, um, and again, just in general, we know we talk to women in just about every um, professional uh, career line that there is out there. Women come to us and they say how much they support us and agree with us that they 're too afraid to speak up because they 're afraid of being fired, and so now we 're seeing what 's happening. the exact same thing is happening in the the legal realm as well. We have wonderful. Attorneys who volunteer for us behind the scenes, but they are too scared to speak up professionally so this this rule, if it is approved, is going to really become a slippery slope, uh, making it much more difficult for attorneys who just want to state basic biological facts about men and women.
0: Yeah, no doubt. We all love watching the Oscars. We all love watching the award show. There's always that great award for the best actor and the best actress, but there is a move afoot in Hollywood that I know you're fighting to erase the gender distinction in acting awards. Tell us a little bit about that and what Wolf is doing on that front.
1: Absolutely. So this is also brand new news. We have your, your listeners are going to be the very first people in the country oh, to hear about this that today because we have not actually <laughs> published our petition on the website yet. But we have been working for the past few weeks with a whistleblower um, in California who approached us, and this person was very, very concerned about a recent change um, made by the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, which is a huge, you know, influential um, association in the entertainment industry. And what uh, what the L.A. Film Critics Association did is they decided to cave into gender ideology, now the vote was very close. It was apparently like twenty-six to twenty-seven vote in favor of this. So it split very, very equally. There was a lot of a lot of dissent. But what they said is they're no longer going to have sex based awards for acting. So they're no longer gonna give an award to a woman for being best actress and an award for a man for being best actor. Instead they're just, you know, they're gonna they said they're gonna respect, you know, the all the non-binary and transgender identified people out there, and they're just going to give awards to people in general who are the best people in acting roles. <laughs> and this is really concerning, um, you know, because winning uh, an acting award, it's not just something that does something great for, you know, woman's ego, right? It actually has a profound impact on her career trajectory and on her financial ability, you know, to make more money. And what a lot of research has shown is that when a a film ends up being much more successful and making more money, if an actress wins a Best Actress Award. So when women win awards, it ends up helping everybody involved in that particular film which means that directors are going to have more incentives to try to cast women in starring roles because if they have a chance to win an award, it's going to help everybody. And so what this is going to do is end up de-incentivizing directors and producers from even casting women in the first place. So we're we're really concerned about this. And so, you know, we were approached by someone who was who was really worried about, again, just you know, the erasure of women's career opportunities, Um, you know, thinking about all the little girls out there who might want to go into the film industry and thinking they're not even going to have a chance to win awards at this point for
0: acting. Ironic that many of the liberals who want to get rid of the glass ceiling, right, in the various industries where it still exists, in this case, may actually be helping to impose a glass ceiling by taking away one of the leverage points that an award-winning actress would have to do better financially or to do better in advancing in her career. The ironies abound in this debate, don't they?
1: Yes, I mean, absolutely. And you're right with the whole, they're really imposing the glass ceiling again, just, you know, it's, it's wearing a different outfit, <laughs> basically, because, you know, you think back, I'm sure you and your listeners, we have seen countless ridiculous news stories now, you know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, and I'm always seeing all these like, you know, um, the 10 highest paid female CEOs, and like half of them now are men who say that they're women. But the companies are paying them a bunch of money and they now saying like, you know, the companies are able to claim that they, um, you know, they don't have a gender wage gap, right? That they're hiring women into top leadership professions and roles. But it's actually, oh, yeah, there's there have been countless stories out there now. And so this is just yet another example where men are going to win these acting awards and women, again, are going to be pushed down, right? They're going to have a harder time succeeding in their careers. So we're, um, yeah, we're, we're rolling out this petition. Um, it'll probably be up on our website tomorrow, if not later today. And we are, we're going to be promoting it widely and trying to put a lot of pressure on the Film Critics Association. And we're demanding that they reverse their decision. Yeah, these
0: are things that most Americans don't know about. And if it wasn't for Wolf's effort to highlight it, they would fall through the cracks and they would be long established as precedent before someone fought them. That's why what you do on the cutting edge of these debates is... So important. I want to turn to one last thing because obviously we've talked a little bit about government in the California prison system. We're talking a little bit about the private quasi government regulatory system that the American Bar Association is. Corporate America has its own challenges. Ulta Beauty really had a difficult few weeks with its ad involving a transgender person. Tell us a little bit about the lessons all corporations should learn from Ulta Beauty's misstep.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that corporations need to wake up and realize that not everybody is on board and in agreement with the absolutely ridiculous notion that a man can put on makeup, grow out his hair, put on a wig, put on really stereotypical clothing for women, and actually be perceived by the public as being a woman. And I saw some of those, you know, the images, the quotes coming from Ulta Beauty, and women and men are really outraged and uh, you know i i don't want to say they're deeply offended by it but they, they are women are feeling deeply deeply disrespected as human beings right because what ulta beauty has done is once again just trotted out the same tired line that being a woman is essentially being a costume right and this company literally sells makeup so of course they have a very vested interest
0: sure customer base right
1: <laughs> yeah to to buy makeup, and basically the message they sent out to the world was that um if a man just puts on a lot of makeup then he 'll magically become a woman um, you know and this guy that they have been promoting he is particularly troubling i've i 've seen some you know clips of his YouTube show and things like that and In, in particular, I would say there are a lot of women out there who find this guy in particular very, very creepy, very disturbing. Um, he's got a whole thing about how he's, you know, experiencing girlhood and all that. Well, he is a, he is a grown male human being. He has never experienced girlhood. He never will. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much makeup he puts on. He's, he's never going to be a woman.
0: You are unabashedly liberal. Well,
1: I, well, well, well. Are, so let me put, let me clarify here. Are you saying you, as in, are you saying Wolf is unabashedly liberal, or
0: no, you personally?
1: No, 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 no. I am. I am not unabashedly liberal. No.
0: So Wolf comes from what perspective, and how would you describe the Wolf perspective?
1: Oh, sure. So we are we are really proud. Our reputation is based on our nonpartisan work we are we are radical feminists so you know our radical feminist principles
0: that's the term i was thinking for radical feminists is the right term to describe them
1: but to be fair a lot of people confuse radical feminism with being just liberal or progressive um and what actually we did a survey with our supporters last year we're going to be rolling it out again and and doing at the end of each year. And what we learned from, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of of people participate, but around 140 people. And those supporters almost all told us that they used to actually skew to the left. You know, they, they would identify as liberal or progressive. And primarily, the liberal stance on gender ideology, as well as prostitution and surrogacy, have pushed our supporters over into... Sort of, you know, a lot of them say they feel like they're politically homeless. They don't feel like they fit in with a lot of conservative issues, but they absolutely no longer feel like they fit in with the liberal issues as well. Yeah,
0: that's the point I wanted to get at. There is a disenfranchisement for people who have always stood up for women, per se, for instance. They used to find a home in the liberal ideology, and today they've been ostracized out of it, even though your views have never changed, right? You've always been for women. And by the way, you probably don't, you, I mean, if this, you don't advocate discriminating against people who identify as transgender, right? You don't have any hatred towards them, right? You just are trying to protect the gender.
1: Yeah, and yeah, no, no, we, you know, we we want people, so we always say, you know, there's often a claim by trans rights activists that like their human rights are being violated. And our response is always like, really? Like, are you are you a slave? Like, are you not being allowed to, you know, have, like, are you being forced into a religion you don't believe in or something like that? Right. Like all of, all of their basic human rights, they're being upheld just like the basic human rights of all people in the United States. So, you know, that's just a talking point that they play up that, you know, their rights are being violated, but, you know, we're just focused on making sure that only in certain situations Women and girls are going to have access to single sex you know resources and and you know those are things where we apply you know logic and common se- common sense, and our positions are very you know very data driven like the the one of the main reasons we want women's prisons to only house female uh, inmates is because we know the vast majority of women in prison are survivors of sexual violence and domestic violence.
0: That's such an important data point that a lot of Americans don't realize.
1: That They, they really don't realize, and that was actually what my research um, for my dissertation was on. So I'm very familiar with those statistics, and it's horrifying when you sit down with women you know, who have survived prison, and they talk about all of the violence they survived before they ever got into prison. And so, you know, one of the reasons we're deeply concerned about these men being allowed to share cells and bathrooms and showers with women in prison is that that is profoundly re-traumatizing and triggering to these women. You know, they are, they're not able to become rehabilitated or heal at all in a space when they're being forced to, you know, share an 8 by 8 prison cell with a man, especially, you know, a lot of these men... Um, it's really disturbing. A lot of the men who have requested transfer into the women's prisons in California, they're actually they have histories of violence against women and children.
0: Yep, that's irrefutable data. I mean, I think we went over that the last time you were on the show. It's pretty stunning data, and yet the common sense goes out the way you use the word common sense, and I think that's what most Americans are are just crying for right now in this moment. Of extreme ideology. We look at the elections and everyone's trying to figure out where is going to the election going to result out. And you look, crime and inflation economy are clearly the top two issues in the polling. But it looks like parents' rights and specifically transgenderism as a infringement on parents' rights is becoming more and more an issue, maybe the third rail in this election. As you talk to people, this seems to be motivating people to strive for a common sense solution politically now, right?
1: Yeah, I I think so. You know, and we... We definitely, we don't have an official stance on so-called parents' rights, right? But what we want is we want kids to be safe in schools. And that, when it comes down to it, that common sense, most parents, you know, unless they're really abusive parents, right, parents want their children to be safe in schools. They want to know when they drop their daughters off at school in the morning that their daughters aren't going to be followed into a bathroom by a boy who is legally allowed to be there who, and then he can, you know sexually objectify her or sexually assault her, take pictures of her or something. And so that's what parents have been starting to realize over the past few months is that there are a lot of school systems out there that have been going behind the parents' backs. And, you know, really, I feel that it's fair to use the phrase grooming these children and to believing um, you know, really like believing in gender ideology.
0: Yeah, and if nothing else, they're grooming them not to pay attention to their parents' authority, which is a dangerous precedent for a bureaucrat or someone in the schools to advocate. They're eroding the moral authority that we've always in society given to parents, as long as they're good parents, right? As long as they don't do something terrible.
1: My career background and academic background before I came over um, to serve at Wolves has, has always been in sexual violence and domestic violence prevention and response. And that's something we always talk to parents about in trainings for child abuse prevention and response is uh, nobody should ever be telling your child it's okay to keep a secret from you. Like that is a huge red flag if there's any adult or teenager telling a child, you know, like let's keep this a secret between the two of us and don't tell your mom and dad. And yet we've had all these stories coming out about school administrators and teachers doing exactly that. And that should be very, very alarming and upsetting to every parent, I think.
0: And it does seem to be a motivating factor in people getting involved in school board races or going out and voting maybe after years of not being engaged in the political system. Extremely interesting. There's so much going on. And I know folks are listening to say, hey, this is a really important issues that I just heard about ABA, California lawsuit, acting awards. What's the best way, Mari, for people to stay in touch with what Wolf's doing every day?
1: getting signed up to receive our weekly email newsletter is the best way. Uh, You know, we are, we're pretty active on different social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If they are on LinkedIn, I encourage them to connect with us for sure. Um, But, but, um, and I can send you my, my info afterwards if you'd like, but getting our weekly emails is going to be the best way to consistently get our news. Um, our website is really full <laughs> of a lot of different issues that we're working on, but we do have, um, we have a blog, you know, so if they go to the news section of our website, um, they they can follow along with all our news because we usually will release a blog every time we take part in an activity. And, um, and we are going to be, um, just as the, you know, the end of the year for all nonprofits, most of them usually do a big, um, you know, sort of holiday fundraiser. And so we are going to be doing a matching challenge, uh, for a fundraiser. We had a generous donor who's, who has stepped up, um, and is going to be matching people's donations. So we'll be rolling out announcements about that.
0: That's a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we are, um, something I think a lot of people might not realize about us. Um, you know, most nonprofits across the country, you know, they do the type of work where they can apply to get government support or state support. Whereas we, you know, because we're considered problematic <laughs> by a certain political administration right now, we are we are pretty much not really eligible. You know, we're not competitive when it comes to trying to get any kind of government support. So all, pretty much almost all of our donations come from individual donors who care. And we feel so grateful every single day, you know, because we're we're fighting to protect these women in prison. We're fighting to protect vulnerable, you know, little children who are being targeted. And all of our work is made possible pretty much by grassroots support by individual people all over the country in all 50 states. So we we have a lot of gratitude to the people who keep us running.
0: Such an important thing for people to remember. These things don't happen for free. It takes support to get these issues litigated and to get For amicus briefs and letters out, such an important thing. Well, Dr. Maria Arvon, it's always an honor to have you on, and we love having you on. We're going to stay on top of these three really big developments, and thank you for sharing some breaking news with us today. Very scoopy.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for uh, giving us the opportunity and, um, you know, just I, I would say for supporting our work, but really what you're doing is you're simply giving your listeners an opportunity to hear about the work we're doing. And then they can, you know, judge for themselves where they land on the issues.
0: Illuminate and then let people make up their own mind. That's what journalism used to do. They've got to keep doing it. So <laughs> what a great honor to be with you today. Thanks for joining us. We're going to check in after the election with you because these are important issues that are going to keep burbling in the system. So thanks so much.
2: Thanks so much.
3: Have a great afternoon.
0: You as well. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages.
3: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Thanks for listening. Hey, one more time, a reminder, if you want to get ahead of the Christmas shopping and all that Black Friday craziness, you know what you can do. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Just News. Get 25% off some of the most comfortable loungewear and apparel you're ever going to wear. They're great gifts. Get one for every one of your family and friends. They'll be thanking you all fall and winter long. And you'll be thanking yourself for having to avoid the crowds on Black Friday. Go check that out at TommyJohn.com slash Just News. Have a great night. God bless you. God bless this extraordinary country. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from